Please get your Bibles out this afternoon and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We've been studying Hebrews in the ladies' Bible study this year, and I think last year too, <laughs> so we're, we're uh, not that far along, but we did get through Melchizedek before Tom preached on it a couple of weeks ago. We found in Hebrews that God is calling these Jewish Christians to stay with Christ, to not be tempted to go back to the temple worship, which seems so glorious in its, in its processions and its choirs and its priest dress and the sacrifices, the, the smoke, the, the altar. And some of them were tempted to go back there because the worship of Christians was so simple. It was by faith. They read scriptures. They prayed. They sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. <clears throat> they heard the word of God proclaimed. And it was a spiritual worship by faith. It had to be by faith because there were no outward accoutrements to try to attract someone. And so he comes to the close of the book of Hebrews after laying foundation after foundation that Jesus Christ's new covenant is superior to the Sinai covenant and that we therefore should respond. We should respond to Christ and live a certain way. So look at Hebrews 13 and I want us to read uh, through verse uh, 17. Hear the word of God. The love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor by, uh, among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your way of life be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were thus occupied could not, were not benefited. <clears throat> we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Let's pray. How we thank you, Father, for preserving the words of Scripture down through these millennia that we have the word that was written by Paul, the words written by Moses and the prophets, and David and the Psalms. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to marvel that we have, that we are able to hear the word of God that you revealed so long ago before our very eyes still the same, all pointing to Jesus Christ as our Lord. So help us to rejoice in having the scripture and to not ignore it, nor to try to change it, but rather to submit to you as you have revealed yourself in the scripture. Help us to love you and keep your commandments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, we've had our thoughts focused, as we do each year, on Thanksgiving, an American holiday, and we have given thanks to God this past week for His undeserved grace and kindness and mercy found in believing in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we rightly give thanks to God for sending His Son to the cross for our sins we rightly give thanks to the Son for his humility and his heart of self-denial to go through this suffering on the cross to atone for our sins. We rightly give thanks to the Holy Spirit who found us on, in our sins and opened our hearts to go to Christ and now indwells every Christian all the time. And we rightly give thanks that Christ is exalted and ruling over all things, working all things together for good to those who love him. Every blessing we have in life comes from his nail-pierced hands, for it is the Father's will that he receive, his Son receive honor and glory for carrying out his will for us, his mercy, his judgment, his forgiveness and kindness. Therefore, we have good reason to give thanks on Thanksgiving Day, but what about the rest of the days of the week and of the year? If your thoughts and words were recorded the rest of the days of the year, and they are, would they be judged by God as passing the test of whether you were more thankful and content versus complaining, grumbling, being critical of others, angry? What would be his evaluation? Did you continually offer up to God the sacrifice of praise from lips that give thanks to his name? Is that how your family would perceive you? Your co-workers? Your non-Christian friends? Your fellow Christians? Would they think that you are a person thankful to God all the time? Obviously, we're not perfect in our thanksgiving and we cannot earn heaven by giving thanks. But we should seek to give thanks without ceasing. For Paul said in Hebrews 13, 15, which we're looking at this afternoon, through him, that is Christ, through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So how often do you thank God and praise him 
throughout the year in his blessings and benefits, even in trial, which is part of God's will. Peter said that those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The words continually give thanks in our passage and the verbal fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name means a verbal, outspoken giving of thanks that bear witness to Christ in the hearing of others. Not just to God, but to those around us, your spouse, your children, your fellow Christians, even your enemies. Thanksgiving is part of our witness to Christ, making us the salt of the earth and the light of the world wherever we go. So we should give, live in this mode of continually giving thanks to his name as the fruit of our lips. In fact, this is well-pleasing as a sacrifice to God. God is pleased when we give thanks to his name, especially with our lips. In our passage, Paul explains a number of things. I'll, there are two that I want to mention, verses 10 through uh, 16. <clears throat> First, we have a Christian altar upon which others do not have and cannot partake. And second, we're called to respond to that altar with a continual giving of thanks. That's what our passage teaches this afternoon. So what is that Christian altar it's talking about? We have an altar that is different from the priest and the temple worship. The whole life of Israel was centered around the worship at the temple, the sacrifices, the festivals. They had many festivals and many extra Sabbaths. Not all of them were on the seventh day either. They were first day Sabbaths. Sacrifices were offered at the temple every day, grain offerings, peace offerings, thank offerings, sin offerings, and of course the annual Day of Atonement once per year offering. And if you lived in Jerusalem, you would see smoke, the smoke of the burnt offerings ascending into the sky every day. So there was always a continual reminder to the people of Jerusalem and Israel of the need of sacrifice for sin and the continual presence of God with his people at the temple. They were to think about this all the time. As they walked down a street and saw the smoke coming up from the sacrifices, they were to think of God and their need of a, of a, of a Savior and a sacrifice. When they turned the corner and a building blocked the smoke from the altar of the temple or the tabernacle, they might be tempted to put it out of their minds, but they had to go to turn the corner again, and there they would see it again. It would always be there. Thinking of the worship at the temple, the sacrifice and bloodletting of animals in atonement for sin. In so doing, they were reminded of their own sins and their need, their need of sacrifice, their need to be cleansed and forgiven. So, there was a continual reminder of the presence of God and so forth. And it is true that most of the time the offerings were brought and offered like a ritual instead of by faith or as a superstition to keep God off their back rather than by faith in the Messiah which these sacrifices and even the high priest represented. 
Nevertheless, their daily offerings reminded Israel that God was there in the temple. The priests were given the privilege of eating of the sacrifices. This was part of the Levitical law that, that gave the priests food from the sacrifices of the temple, from the offerings on the altar, once the sacrifice was made. Only the priests could eat of these offerings. But there was one offering once per year that not even the priest could eat of, not even the high priest. On the Day of Atonement, when the sacrifices of the goat and the bullock were made for the forgiveness of the sins of the people, sins of ignorance, sins that had been confessed on the scapegoat by the priest when he laid his hands upon the other goat and it was led off into the wilderness, symbolizing God taking away our sins. Even then, the high priest could not partake of that sacrifice. And so the body of the bullock that was sacrificed on the altar was taken outside the temple and the city of Jerusalem and burned to ashes. It was totally consumed by fire, bones and all. No one could eat of that sin offering because it was totally God's. To do so would have been considered blasphemy against a holy God and to set up another temple or altar, I mean, outside of the gates of Jerusalem where the offering was burned would have been considered unholy and blasphemous, having no authority to atone for sins. But Paul told the Hebrew Christians that they had an altar outside the camp, outside the city, outside the gate of Jerusalem. An altar that the Old Testament temple never had, that the priests could never partake of. We have an altar outside the camp. A special sacrifice. And we are given the privilege as a nation of priests to partake of that sacrifice outside the temple from that altar. And that altar was the Lord Jesus Christ himself who was also the sacrifice when he was crucified outside the city on Calvary's hill and nailed to the tree to make full atonement for all the sins of all his people. We have an altar that the priest have no right to eat from. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Crucified outside the city on Calvary's hill. A sacrifice which only believers in Christ can partake. Now in verse 12, it says, Therefore Jesus, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. When we think of our Lord um, going outside the gate, being sacrificed by the people, he came to do that in order to sanctify the very people who killed him. That's why he could say upon the cross this amazing word of Christ, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And I believe he prayed the same thing for us. We put him to the death. We nail him to the tree with each sin. And he cries out upon the cross while bearing the wrath and anger of the Father against us in our sins and against him now. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. 
He came to sanctify us, to set us apart, what that word means, unto God. To take us out of the world and out of our sinful mind and to place us in a new city, the Jerusalem above. That we would think differently while still on earth. That we would not count anything on earth as worthy to be worshipped or necessary to be had, to be happy. He came to help us overcome the world, the flesh, our own sinful desires, and the devil and all of his attacks against our soul and in our mind. He suffered there outside the gate on Calvary's hill to bring us to God. And now, having a spiritual altar of communion with God, now restored and forgiven and cleansed and accepted outside the gate, Jesus sanctified and set us apart and made atonement for our sins. And that's the foundation of all of our worship. It's the foundation of a thankful heart to God. I love this time of year where we tend to focus on the incarnation of Christ. It's such an amazing thing, but it bespeaks of the total unselfishness of God the Son. To come and be born to be humiliated by the hands of godless men and to be destroyed by His Father in heaven to destroy our sins. There's never been a person on earth or in this creation like the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's still the same. His compassion is the same. His mercy, His forgiveness, His love for His sheep, and He loves caring for us That is so weird to me sometimes. He loves us and loves to care for us even when we fail Him. When we sin, when we become discontented and grumbling and complaining, we still have an altar and a right to eat from His sacrifice upon the altar, to take in the bread of life and drink the cup which represented his shed blood upon the cross. The Lord's Supper reminds us of this altar and this sacrifice every time we take it. It is not the altar and it is not the sacrifice, but it reminds us again and again of what happened outside the camp, how roughly he was treated, how patient he was being almighty, how kind he was to us to take the punishment due to our sins that we might be forgiven and go free. So, by faith in the truth, we continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God from the fruit of lips that continually give thanks to his name. Do you remember that special altar and a sacrifice where he bore our shame and our sins outside the camp every day? Christians are not to wake up in the morning and start filling their minds with what I've got to do today. I don't have much time today because every, every moment and every minute seems to be fulfilled. And let's see, what do I do first? What do I do second? I believe that we're called to be still and know that He is God when we wake up in the morning. To think about the, the best things, the most wonderful things, that we have everything already so we should not complain during the day. That when things are taken away or people reject us during the day, we offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving from the fruit of our lips to God. And so the Christian response 
to this altar that we have, there are three things I want to mention. The first is, we should live a life of continual faith, verses 13 and 14. He tells us to do something in verse 13. Hence, let us go to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Now that's something the disciples did not do. They may have gone outside the camp, but they ran away or stood way back where they would not be bearing his reproach. They would not suffer for his name. They would not be threatened by aligning themselves with him. He tells us, go outside the camp. Help carry his cross from the place of Pilate, the the Praetorium, and go by his side and be like Simon and help him bear his cross. Go with him. Let yourself be seen with him. Speak of him. And say, this is the Son of God. Believe in him. Hence, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Willing to take his name upon ourselves, willing to sacrifice, to live for him as he commands us. And to obey him before the eyes of others every day. We should give thanks every day. All things that come with aligning ourselves with him, we should bear. Willing to be persecuted for confessing him before our family, our friends and our co-workers. One of the saddest things and that I hear, have heard through the years is when someone comes to Christ, they believe him and they seek now to change their life and leave the world they've been living in and live in the heavenly world, the world of obedience and love and kindness. When they do that, many times they have been rejected by their family, mistreated by their spouse, accused of hypocrisy by their children, rejected by brother or sister as a hypocrite because they know our past sins, but they don't know God's forgiveness when they do that. And to see a Christian to suffer from those of his, his or her own blood, even their own parents, has been a great grief to me, but that's no less than what Christ told us. That there would be a division in family. That children would even deliver up their parents to be killed. Our response to this altar is to go outside the city and go to the altar of the cross and bear his reproach before all men. And to do this, we must leave the world and enter the heavenly world, the kingdom of God. Most people are looking for heaven on earth, a city of earthly blessings, like the old city of Babylon. But that city will be burned with fire one day and nothing will remain. All the things we've owned, all the experiences we've had on earth, except those in Christ, will be burned up. They will exist no more. They mean nothing eternally. We do not have a lasting city now. So we're called to give it up and enter the Jerusalem above where Christ is. 
And let that be the city we live in, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, trusting in his will for our lives, that he is sovereign and ruling and causing all things to work together for good for us every day. We trust him and therefore we give thanks to him every day. We praise him for his patience and his favor. Moses did this. Hebrews eleven twenty four says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He took the reproach of Christ upon himself and separated himself from worldliness, riches, and pleasures as his hope and turned to Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Moses, and now all of us who confess Christ, not just Moses, will be persecuted by the world for refusing to live a worldly life. You young people, this is the pressure that you will face as you leave your safe homes and schools and church and enter into college or the workplace in the world. Hopefully you won't leave the church or <laughs> many of you may want to stay home for a while, but you're going to be exposed to things that God hates, that he considers to be defiled and sinful. And your response to those things defines your faith in Christ. It doesn't earn salvation, but it defines how you're willing to suffer for his name as he did for yours. To live a godly life, to yield the continual offering of thanksgiving from the fruit of lips that give thanks, to speak his name, to bear his reproach. He was reproached by the crowds as false and a hypocrite and a liar, a false prophet. So, he calls us to bear his reproach as well. For all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will have to take a stand. You will have to make a statement. You will have to say what you think about Christ. As long and as far as you look for happiness in the fallen people and things of this world, you will never find contentment, happiness, joy, or peace with God. Everything, everything and everyone is infected by sin and imperfection and false promises. There is not a living soul that can comfort your heart as Christ does. Even true Christians themselves have to fight remaining sins every day. That's part of our calling, too. It's not abnormal. In the last century and a half, we've been taught that if you're a Christian struggling against sin, and having to fight against sin, something's wrong with you. You haven't entered the spiritual plane. But the truth of the Bible is, God has promised that you'll have to fight the good fight of faith every day and put to death the deeds of the body every day and to live for Christ. Everything and everyone's infected with sin and yet we tend and are tempted to live and die on what's happening with our health our world, 
our family, our friends, our finances, even our church. But Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? There is no profit to gain the whole world, to gain the world's approval, to gain the world's riches, to gain the rewards that the world promises if you will just live like the world, the fallen world. But we have a different altar, a different sacrifice, a different high priest, a different happiness, a different contentment with the, than the world has. We have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, an unchanging love and forgiveness, a once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. We have an empty tomb, an ascended and reigning Lord who never changes in his love and mercy even when we change on him. That's amazing. The weakest faith that takes hold of an almighty Christ is safe, as Tom taught us today. And he promises never to leave or forsake us. He is the complete Savior. Now we have it all that God promises to a poor sinner who calls upon him with an imperfect faith and a perfect Savior. We have it all. Every blessing of God that gives, he gives to any believer is given to all believers. Every promise of God that we're to live on and trust in him to bring to pass. God is faithful. He will bring it to pass. Which leads us not only to a life of faith in believing the truth, but a life of praise and thanksgiving in response. In Hosea 14.2, Hosea is prophesying and preaching and urging the people of Israel to return to the Lord. And he prays and to pray, forgive all our sins, Lord. And receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. That's where that phrase comes from. That's what Paul was thinking about. Forgive us of our sins, all our sins, and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. A life of praise is the life that we have been called to. Verse 15 through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. The third thing that we're called to is a life of serving others in Christ's name. Having eaten from the altar that no one else can eat from, and the sacrifice that has been given for us, that God has blessed us to understand who he is and what he did and what he's doing now for every one of his own. To understand that, to believe that, calls us to a life of serving others in his name as he first served us. In verse 16 it says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. The fruit of our lips is a sweet smelling sacrifice to God and the work of our hands in his name is a sacrifice that pleases God. Giving up our life to serve ourselves we turn from ourselves when we come to Christ to have a serving life to him and everyone around us to love our neighbor as we would wish to be loved, to do unto others as we would wish them to do unto us, to give up seeking pleasure and happiness in the things and people of this world as our hope, as our comfort, as our happiness, and to find in Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us and is still doing for us all that we need. All that we need 
to give thanks. Being thankful for Christ, we quit thinking of ourselves and what we want from others. And having been served and loved by Him, we are now free from ourselves and the bondage to our own selfishness. And looking unto Him, we find all the motive and incentive and power we need to use our life to be a blessing instead of getting a blessing. It's a completely different life from what the world is. Perhaps you're one like myself who once lived that way in the bondage of one's own sinful desires and thinking and sinful words and actions. You could not change. You knew you should. You knew there was a God. You knew you would give account. There's such a thing as good and evil because we know that there's evil. And there has to be good to tell us that. And so having lived that way, taking instead of giving, we destroy our own souls. What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? But now, we have an altar from which to eat that even the high priest of Jerusalem cannot eat. A perfect sacrifice for terrible sinners, calling them to be like him. We always have Christ and his love, even when we fail him which means it's a, a religion of grace. Not our own goodness or works, purely of grace. We have been justified once for all by faith that we may enter into the presence of God and give thanks. Therefore, we give thanks for everything that God gives us, including the trials. Yesterday, I learned that our friend in Gadsden, Alabama, Anita Shavers, very sweet, simple, which is good, Christian, a nurse who saved many babies' lives, heard that she was dying of cancer and they'd called in the hospice. So I called her husband, King, and, and encouraged him, try to remember the many years God gave to you, her to you when he did not have to instead of focusing on the years that will not continue. Then remember that this is not the end. There is a sure and certain hope before her and you together again in just a little while. And she will see Jesus before you and you should be happy for that. Therefore set your mind in your grief also to give thanks to a good God who sent his son on her behalf and yours as well. Philippians 4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Can you actually do that? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving. And the peace of God which surpasses your comp all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say feel thanksgiving. He says give thanksgiving. With all of your requests to God, give thanksgiving. 
for what he's already given. And our hearts will be guarded from complaining, grumbling, and striking out to others who do not fulfill our desires. Instead, being forgiven, we forgive. Instead of being, and, and being loved, we love. Being served by the risen Christ who still serves us. We serve them for his glory with a heart of thanksgiving because you have to have faith to give thanks and you have to have thanksgiving to serve. Grumbling and complaining and picking out what's wrong in, with our life and others in our life ignores the grace of God given it ignores the power of God over all of life for our good. It ignores the future hope set before us by a risen Christ who's preparing a place for us even now so that where he is, we will be also. That's what's really going on in the world. That's what's most important in the world and in our lives. We have everything to give thanks for, every reason that could be considered and even in our sorrows he calls us to serve others to do good to be good loving him and keeping his commandments when others are not loving him and keeping his commandments toward us the grace of God is so huge it, it defies any human words to describe its infinity and its constancy and the goodness of it. But one day we shall be given eyes to see it fully, face to face. And until then, he calls us to believe, to give thanks, to love, to forgive, and to serve as we have been done by him. We have an altar from which to eat, which even the Old Testament priests do not have. So if you're not in Christ this evening, you have no reason to be thankful, to have any kind of optimistic spirit about your future because God is against you because you are against God. And he's almighty and you're not. You can't bring him to account, but he will bring you to account. And therefore, before it is too late, as Tom said this morning, death is upon our door. Every day is another gift from God to preserve us from death. We only have today to be reconciled to God, only today to serve him and love him and worship him from our hearts, only today. And he calls us to remember and be thankful. Things are bad and they're going to get worse if you do not humble yourself before God and bow to Jesus Christ risen from the dead and seek his mercy through his shed blood and the forgiveness of sins and help. And if you are in Christ, these are the things that last. There is a heavenly city, a new Jerusalem. Paul told the Hebrews in chapter 12, you, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. You have already come to be a part of that. And you've come to Jesus, the mediator of our faith, and to a future that will never end. Therefore, we can give thanks in our trials on earth. We can even give thanks that God has designed that we should have remaining sins in us as Christians, knowing that he is calling us to battle against evil, to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to 
day by day be conformed to the image of Christ. We have every reason to give thanks. So let us come, let us go outside the gate. While the world lives within the worldly Jerusalem, let us go outside the gate and stand beside the cross and give thanks and partake of him who gave himself for us. Let it change us. Even into old age, the Christian has to fight the same battles of the mind as well as the same temptations of the life. And hopefully, fighting the good fight of faith, he or she is more conformed to the way Jesus thinks, the way God thinks, and lives unto death a faithful life. We have such an altar to eat from that not even the most holy priest who lived under law could eat. But now we are adopted sons, purchased sheep, beloved friends and brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ who delights to save us, to stand by us and his spirit in us and keep us from falling in order to present us to himself in all her glory, all our glory, like the bride is presented to the bridegroom, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We have a lot to be thankful for, so let us give thanks from the fruit of lips, continually giving thanks to his name. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to cultivate a mind that gives thanks, that realizes that we deserve absolutely nothing, even as Christians. And in the failure of our remaining sins, we still deserve nothing from you. And yet you have pledged to us in Christ that you will give us everything. Help us to be more thankful for the God we have than the things we have. Help us to bear witness of the Christ who has saved us and the goodness of God in our lives to those around us with the fruit of lips that give praise to his name. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring others to yourself through our lives of service and love and forgiveness that they may taste of the grace of God as well. And forgive us of our sins again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.